Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. We often have famous actors and authors and media people sharing their favorite things, but what does someone with a PhD in chemistry from Harvard University enjoy reading and watching in their downtime? Kurt Krauss is a professor of biochemistry at the University of Otago and our bookmarks guest today. He joins me now. Hi, Kurt. Hi, Jesse. Nice to hear hear from you. Yeah, welcome to Afternoons. Uh, you've been at University of Otago for almost 20 years now. Is that how long you've been in New Zealand and, and how did you come to be here? Yeah, I think I arrived, I think it was December 5th in um, 2005. So effectively 2006. So it's getting close to 20 years. And <laughs> it's a it's a kind of a wild story. Uh, I was at, in, in Houston. I had... Um, I had uh, two appointments. I had an appointment at Baylor College of Medicine where I was an infectious disease doctor and an appointment at University of Houston where I was a biochemist because, and I was still practicing medicine at that time. Uh, and I was interested in moving. I was going to move to Cincinnati and open up a, or I was going to lead a, a biodefense and emerging infectious disease center. And I was working with a dean there who interestingly was named Dean Martin of all things. <laughs> yeah. And, out of the blue, Dean Martin was was like replaced, and I, and all negotiations uh, ceased. And they said, "Look, we don't know where he had the money to set you up, and everything's on hold." And I got this offer to interview at Otago. And um, since I was a young when I when I was a, like high school student, I had a chance to meet Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay, uh, and it had a big effect on me with this concept that New Zealand, being a small country, was willing to get out there and do it. You know. Whatever it takes, Everest, do it. You know, America's Cup, do it. And I like that kind of can-do attitude. And I thought, I'll go down and have a look. And I ended up interviewing and fell in love with with Dunedin. Um, they said, you know, they, they offered to, to bring my wife, Michelle, down. And, and, and she liked it as well. And, and uh, you know, rest is history. Fantastic. By the way, is that an unusual combination, biochemistry and infectious diseases? It was a little bit crazy at the – yeah, I, I think – because I actually do structural biology, which is a field where uh, we determine the three-dimensional structures of protein molecules and sometimes uh, nucleic acid molecules, which are these little tiny uh, nanomachines that make the body work. Everything that the body does in terms of like reproducing, mm. uh, detecting disease, protecting, that's all structural biology. And that's usually done by people who are very sort of physics-oriented or chemistry-oriented. And then combining that with, I was an internal medicine doctor and a specialist in infectious disease, crazy idea, probably nuts to do it. But but there's more people combining those those careers now. I think it's it's much more common than, than, than I did at the time. I, I suspect we could talk about COVID for the whole half hour, but just briefly, were you surprised when that happened as an infectious diseases guy, or were you just waiting for the day we had a pandemic of that nature? Pretty much the, the latter. I, I used to, I, I love going to the international infectious disease meetings. There's one that's in the States called the Infectious Diseases Society of America. And we would have kind of a pandemic prediction where people would say, okay, what do you think the next organism is going to be? And Herbert DuPont, 
who was a real famous infectious disease doctor in Houston, he stood up and said, I think it's going to be an RNA virus. I think it's going to be single-stranded. I think it's probably going to come from this family. And and boy, he, w- he was right on. Hmm. But people would get together and, and muse about this. And when I was a, a fellow, um, Jesse, which was, gosh, a while ago, I had the experience of, of uh, interviewing a guy, a Mr. Shinburn, who had lived through the influenza pandemic. And uh, this guy, Mr. Shinburn, had lived in Florida. And boy, what he went through, he... He, the, the uh, influenza hit Florida in, this was in 1918. He lost his mom. He lost his sister. He lost a brother. Uh, he, he described a situation where the coffins were, they were behind in coffins. They had to stack them up. And we got all this on, uh, on tape because he, you know, he was one of the last people to, to be around at the time. Mm. And just, just to, to see, uh, what a pandemic can do. And then to live through this next, you know, the second this uh, pandemic that we lived through, wow, amazing! I think our 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 children and our children's children will be, you know, talking to us. They'll say, "Jesse, do you remember?" And you'll go, "What? What?" Yeah. Uh, well, hope, but, hope, hopefully, it'll be another hundred years before we have another one. But uh, I guess chances are it will happen again. Hopefully, not as bad as this. But yeah, I think I, I think it will it definitely will happen again. And there have been some sort of minor pandemics, but. This was kind of a, this was, this was certainly a, a major one for sure. Okay. Let's talk about brighter things. Tell me about Moonlight Serenade by Glenn Miller. Uh, that, well, that takes me back to growing up because I, I grew up, my, my dad was an Air Force pilot in World War II. And he and mom were big fans for, of Glenn Miller. They like they liked Benny Goodman. They liked Tommy Dorsen, Dorsey. And we would listen to vinyl on the, you know, the, the, uh, um, record player in sort of the middle of the living room and mom and dad would dance. Mom and dad sort of taught me how to dance and they loved Glenn Miller. Glenn Miller was kind of like their Beatles and they would get so excited. And Moonlight Serenade was a remarkable piece. Um, they made the point of telling me that Miller combined the clarinet and the saxophone with the, the tenor sax in order to carry the lead. And it made the sound different. And um, this was one of the keys to his success was he had quite a, a unique and quite recognizable sound. Let's play a little of it here.
that's sounding lovely on in the afternoon. Moonlight Serenade by Glenn Miller. It's a choice of Dr. Kurt Krauss, who's our guest on Bookmark today. Now, Kurt's in to tell us about a few of his favourite things. Before we get into them, Kurt, I just wanted to mention that I think you're our only guest we've had on who gets to vote and nominate people for the Nobel Prize. Does that honour weigh heavily on you? That was a, That's a real trip, and I still don't quite know how that happened, but when I moved to Otago... Uh, a month or so after I moved there, I got a, a, a very fancy envelope from Sweden and uh, we, from the Nobel Prize Foundation. And I thought, you know, hey, did I win something? But no such luck. Uh, <laughs> but they just requested, they, they were just requesting nominations for the Nobel Prize for Chemistry. So it's a, it's a particular one, the, the chemistry one. And if you fill in a nomination and uh, do it sort of religiously, they send you an a, a application the next year. So, I, I mean, it's a, it's quite an honor to be able to do that. I had um, my my uh, thesis advisor had a Nobel Prize, and uh, Harvard has a whole bunch of Nobel prizes. There, people, you know, win Nobel prizes pretty commonly are, are located there. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's an honor and it's an obligation, and feel fortunate to be able to do it. Yeah, I immediately think great chance to settle some scores against people who are mean to me at chemistry school. <laughs> but I guess you're too grown up to uh, do that. Um, hey, you got to tell me how did the sound uh, come across? Because at least with my connection, I couldn't hear the sound very well. Does it sound? Did it sound good to you? The uh, the, the song we just played. Yeah. Yeah, it sounded fantastic. Great choice. Ah. Uh. Uh, you did, gotta, do you know what happened to him? Uh, did, did you know that he he uh, uh, vanished tragically? He was um, moving his his uh, band from the UK to France. He had actually um, uh, joined up with the Army Air Force, and he was entertaining troops. And he was on a trip to France during a storm and went down over the English Channel. And this was in 1944 and was never heard from again. And it was at the peak you know, of his, his fame. Gosh, I hadn't heard that story before. No, no, real, you know, real, real gripping tragedy. And, and those kind of things seem to happen a lot to uh, uh, popular uh, musicians, yeah, right? It's don't a, they? Um, maybe just because they were traveling more than normal people were in, in the middle of the century. But um, yeah, that's, makes sense. Uh, it was a beautiful, um, a beautiful song. Thank you for choosing it. And you've got a long list of books. I want to make sure we get through some of them. So this Well-Lived Life by Gladys McGarry looks good. Oh, boy, is that a trip. Okay, so um, I'm always skeptical of any book that's going to tell you how to live, right? Because there's so <laughs> many. Uh, but this lady who wrote this book, Gladys McGarry, who is was 102, she's 102 years old, and that's enough for for several lives. And a fascinating lady, she was the daughter of medical missionaries. She grew up in India, and she has a an interesting combination of allopathic medicine. She went to a normal medical school and also holistic medicine and a, a, a real respect for what she learned in India. She was one of the first doctors to. Um, begin to look at uh, acupuncture uh, in, in, but you know, Western practice and a very sort of spiritual woman though. I mean, the book kind of, it's one of these books that drips love as opposed to preaching. She's not preaching to you. She's very much, Hey, let me kind of like your grandmother mm. uh, come and sit with me. Here's a cookie. And let me tell me about your life and let's see if we can sort out something for you that'll work for you and, and, and help you, you know, to be a little happier in the world. And um, I, I loved it. I was a, this was a it was a fast read and a great read, and it 
Um, I, I think it boils down to a lot of things that that you will have heard or or are read from other sources. But uh, you know, things like everything in, in life is your teacher. If you will let it be your teacher, she ended up getting divorced when she was seventy eight, and she had been married to this other. Her her, her partner was a physician, also. They'd been married for like 40, 50 years. And then he developed a relationship with a nurse in the, their practice. And then he left. And so you imagine that you're 80 or the person you spent all your life with is gone. So she was going through a difficult time. And then the guy had the audacity to invite her to the wedding. Um, and she found herself in her car screaming, like, you know, what what's going on here? And then she kind of said, look, I, you know, I've got to get over this. And I've got to be happy for what I had and had this sort of transformation that whatever you accept in life ends up teaching you powerful lessons. Mm-hmm. So the book is kind of a collection of these sort of anecdotes. You don't exclusively read science, although I, I noticed your choices. You are sort of drawn to science. And this one, Born to Run by Christopher McDougall, looks really interesting. Came to, came out around 2009. What's the subject matter? So had you heard of this one? Or, I hadn't, or, or, no. Or, or, no, I read a bit of the blurb and it looked fantastic. Yeah. No, it's very, very good. This was a, a journal club presented by a colleague of mine, Stephen Sowerby, on a Friday afternoon in biochemistry at Otago. We have journal clubs and people normally will pick a nature of science cell paper to talk about. But Stephen was so moved by this that he presented this book and it really got me excited And here's a sort of the idea. I mean, you think about why is it that people have persisted uh, and and become so dominant on on the earth, considering how small we are and how weak we are, and we don't have a, you know, a horn or a a proper, uh, um, you know, um, what, fur covering us. We don't have very much protection. And the thing that that we seem to be, and this is before we had... um, 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 mobile phone radios and mobile phones and radios, right? So we didn't have any technology. Mm. Okay, so what we had is the ability to run, to be a persistence runner, not to be the fastest runner, but just to run. And the idea that maybe running a mile or two miles, actually in our past, there's evidence that we might have been running hundreds of miles. And um, uh, if you look at there, there's a tribe in northwest Mexico that's uh, called the Tarahumara tribe. And they they run ultra marathons of hundreds of miles, uh, but they don't run they don't run incredibly fast. And so what this would happen in prehistoric times is we would chase after some prey animal, and the prey animal, like a gazelle, would be much faster than us. So we would just keep chasing it, and the gazelle, <laughs> as soon as we caught up to it, the gazelle would run off, right? But eventually, but then the gazelle tires out, and most of these prey animals they don't have endurance. So then we're able to kill them. And then eat, and then the when then, then we survive. So it's kind of it kind of tells the tale of of uh, how persistence running helped the human race become a, a dominant race. Uh, the other there's some other sort of light motifs in here. One of them is this particular tribe, the Tarahumara tribe. They have very few foot injuries. They have great health, no injuries, and they don't run in running shoes. They run with thin sandals. They're running yeah. almost bare feet. Yeah. And it harkens back to one of the things that happened to me when I first moved to New Zealand. Uh, the kids got in secondary school, and the kids are all running on athletics days, and they're running with no shoes on. And I was freaking out, like, what? No shoes? And at least per this book, running barefoot or running with you know uh, light 
uh, protection rather than these crazily complicated running shoes is may actually be better, may actually reduce um, injuries. And you may have seen these five fingered kind of shoes yeah. that people sometimes wear now. So I think around this time there was a big boost in, boost in those. And um, he ended up moving in to Mexico and living with this Indian tribe. And there was a, uh, a, a, a famous um, American guy named Caballo Blanco who was living amongst them and participating in these ultra marathons. So I can really recommend this as a great, great read. And you can decide for yourself whether you want to try the Vibram five-fingered um, shoes. I got a pair. I wore them for a while and decided they probably weren't for me. <laughs> I'm talking to Dr. Kurt Krause. He's in for bookmarks. Got so much to get through. I don't think we'll get through all your choices, but I've just talked to uh, Ayana, our producer, who's going to put them up online for people to find in their own time. But I did want to mention Means of Ascent by Robert Caro. Can you tell us about this book, which I think began as a serial in The New Yorker? Yes, yes. Uh, in fact, I, I read it near the New Yorker, which is, I think, the world's best magazine. It's just like if if you think of of uh, you know a, a meal having a dessert at the end of a meal, the New Yorker is kind of like a dessert for readers. Yeah, it's just a treat to read. And there was a time that the New Yorker serialized very major books, and so they would chop them up. And every week, you might get you know forty, fifty pages. And so, Means of Ascent, I ran into that. Uh, uh, in, in the New Yorker, and it's uh, Caro. End up Robert Caro is this historical biographer who's he's a, incredible, a, a master storyteller. He's incredible. Oh, yes. you've, you've read some of his stuff, uh, yeah. yeah. And he, um, I mean, he is he hasn't finished on Lyndon B. Johnson yet, has he? There's there's one more due. Uh, Robert Gottlieb, who is the longtime editor that he did all of his books with, passed away. Uh, in the past year, and there's a documentary that came out actually that that chronologue the partnerships that those two had because they've been through uh, four volumes up to now. And I think there's he's got two Pulitzer prizes, one for um, the, the, on Johnson because these four are all on Johnson, but there was another one about about a public servant in, yeah, in New York. Uh, hey, in New the York guy City. used to run the guy basically used to run New York um, behind yes. the scenes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I cannot remember his name, but I think that was the one that got the Pulitzer. Well, anyway, so Means of Ascent, and the one reason he's so fantastic is in storytelling. Uh, the Means of Ascent, he has to establish a hero, and he has to establish a villain, and he takes you back to old Texas before Texas had some of the crazy politics that it has now. So he takes you back to Texas, and he talks about Coke Stevenson, and Coke Stevenson as this hero, the classic Texas hero with the cowboy hat and the horse and the ranch, and he had been governor, and he, you know, he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't take any bribes. There weren't any scandals. He was just a fantastic human being, and he finds himself in 1948 running for Senate um, for the Democratic nomination to the Senate against Lyndon Johnson. And then Lyndon Johnson is set up as this ultimate politician, this guy who knows how to manipulate the system, who knows how to do uh, backdoor deals, all kinds of things. And and he ends up um, losing to Coke Stevenson, but in, some, in, a, in a recount, they uncover something like 400 votes, 96% of which all go to Lyndon Johnson. Yeah. And so uh, magically, Johnson ends up winning. He becomes the, the nominee for the Democratic Party, goes on to a career in the Senate, goes on to become the master of the Senate, and Coke Stevenson lost. And so this uh, novel is about that. And uh, it just pulls you in and grips you for the, for the whole time. And 
Um, and I think sets the stage for understanding Johnson's role in, in politics and maybe a little bit about how politics has developed today. Talking to Dr. Kurt Krauss, before we leave books, I just want to mention that you were a fan of the sports biography. You, you love some of these stories of the great coaches. Yes, yes. I, I grew up and we had uh, uh, t- t- good versus evil. I was a Dallas Cowboys fan. Yeah. We had Tom Landry is our coach and you know and he was the good guy and the white hat and all and vince lombardi was the rough gruff coach of the green bay packers (laughs) and he was like you know winning what was it winning isn't the best thing it's the only thing and this was that that culture that sort of boomer culture of of you know you've got to destroy your enemy and and win at all costs and uh, so the book by by jerry kramer about uh, called instant replay about the um, uh, Green Bay Packers uh, season in 1967, where they ended up losing the, they beat the, the Cowboys in the ice bowl uh, and went on to win a uh, Super Bowl too. Uh, so that was a, that was a good one. That's a, I haven't read that since, since growing up, but at the time I was cycling through reading the Green Bay Packers and I read about the New York Knicks. There was a book by Dave DeBusher uh, and was called the open man. And right about the same time, and the New York Knicks had a great season. They won the world championship that season. I remember he was a roommate with Bill Bradley. They were both forwards, and he mentioned that Bill Bradley wasn't great in, ter- in, in terms of fashion, so he held his shirts together with paper clips <laughs> rather than cufflinks. And went on to become senator, right, senator from New Jersey, and and a fantastic uh, 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 senator. And uh, then I, and Ball Four, I think, came up shortly after that. Um, I wanted to mention that as a chemistry expert, um, you enjoyed Breaking Bad, the TV show. Did the chemistry hold up? Um, they did hire a chemical consultant, but there were some problems. And in, in, I think I think myth, I, I read that MythBusters uh, had a couple of episodes yeah. where they went in and tried to repeat some of the things that those guys did, and you really couldn't. But what I could identify with was the idea of getting the synthesis right. Right. So a chemist, they may say, okay, you know, I'm not sure if I want to do this because of the law, whatever, but that's what, if we do it, let's make sure that the the science is right (laughs) and that you end up with a highly pure stuff. And uh, his, Walt Walt Whitman's transformation to, from the bad guy, I mean, from the good guy to the bad guy at the end um, is amazing. Yeah, and if these university funding cuts continue, Kurt, you may start looking for some alternative ways to bring some cash in yourself. I think I'm going to – I'll hopefully avoid that, but we'll see. It's tough down here. It's tough. I'm trying to, you know, just trying to make it through this week, so we'll see how if I can can make it through next week. You're passionate about science funding in particular. Mm. Oh, i got to tell you the Gila Monster story. So you you probably have heard about Ozempic. Ozempic is kind of sweeping the world. Yeah. Um, and there are a number of related Saxenda and um, uh, Victrosa and a number of sort of related compounds that, that have been sweeping the world, and they have two main effects. One of them is they improve diabetes control, and the other one is that many people lose weight, and some of them lose a considerable amount of weight. And there's an, a new drug that's come, up, uh, come out called Manjaro, which – uh, came out from Lilly, was approved in phase three, uh, I think in, in 2023, it's out now. And people lose 25, 30% of, of their body weight. So fantastic, right? The the, the uh, results from these drugs have been amazing. 
But there's a fun backstory here. And the backstory is um, the drugs, these drugs are um, synthetic incretins. And incretin is a small um, peptide molecule that is secreted in the gut when you eat. So when you eat food, your gut will produce this incretin. And incretin is called a glucagon-like protein. Uh, Glucagon-like insulin are proteins that are important in metabolism that get that get uh, secreted whenever you eat. So incretins are made in the gut. Okay, incretins have a half-life of seconds. They're they're, they're made and they're gone uh, unless you're a Gila monster. So it turns out in Southwest United States, there's a giant lizard, truly a giant lizard. I mean, take a gecko and multiply it like by 500. So this giant lizard walks around in the sort of the New Mexico, Arizona area and occasionally bites people. So if you're bitten by a Gila monster, there's a number of bioactive components in the venom. And, you know, some of them are neurotoxins and there's a lot of dangerous things that can happen in venom. So a guy in New York City said, I want to get Gila monster venom. And I just want to see what's in it. And he was working at a VA hospital. And can you just imagine that you go to your boss at the VA hospital and <laughs> all, um, you know, hospitals, all, all research administrators, they want something that will go into the clinic immediately. And they're going to say, you know, Kurt, no, we're not going to fund this. What are you going to do with Gila Monster Venom? We need something to get in the clinic. Get back there and find something that can make us some profit, right? And But this guy persisted, and he got the Gila Monster Venom, and he found out that it had this peptide that now we call exenatide that was the beginning member of this family of drugs, which has now swept the world and may, for many people, be a solution to diabetes and obesity. Uh, and to, to, to me, it's an example that uh, governments, when when they support research, need to have a big chunk of money that goes to people who do crazy things just based on curiosity. You know, people who are looking at venom, compounds in venom. If, if, if they have a, you know, a, an interesting reason for doing it, let's fund some people like that. And you fertilize broadly the, the scientific world and find out what springs up. And then once you get things that spring up, then you can go and commercialize them. And then it's relatively easy. Okay, these are three winners. We can commercialize those. We'll support those. But we, we want to make sure that we don't shut down curiosity-driven research, which is behind lots of the innovations that uh, we depend on for medicines today. But it takes time for them to develop. So, yeah, I'm very passionate about that. Kurt, we're out of time. You've got 30 seconds to plug the podcast Smartless. Uh oh Hilarious, you guys. So, so uh, we got Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and is it Sean Hayes? Uh, uh, three people who who bring in comedians and artists and scientists and academics and interview them and then talk about their own life. Best best show ever. Love the podcast. Next to your podcast, Jesse, but Great second best next to yours. Hey, um, I wish we had longer, Kurt. But thank you for your time today. Cheers. Thanks for inviting me. Dr. Kurt Krauss talking about a few of his favorite things. He's a professor of biochemistry at the University of Otago. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? 
Go stream something new on Hulu.